Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be back here with you. Uh, the last few weeks, we've had just a little bit more people who are creeping back in. The, uh, certainly, the virus has gone down quite a bit in our county. It's not that it can't go back up, but we're, we're still taking those safety measures. And we're just glad to see everyone. We're encouraged by the things that we're able to do together, even though it's not exactly what we call normal to the way we were doing them you know, several months ago. But this morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Peyton did a wonderful job last week as he, he dealt with what I think is a kind of a difficult text, especially for many of us uh, in the Western world. And, and it's the fact that, you know, he dealt with Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And the fact that, you know, it's not the letter of the law that is that is of the only importance here. In fact, it has no importance if we don't understand why it was given, the very spirit and heart that God gives it. And a lot of times we, we hate the word law or we hate instruction, um, but it's because we don't like the letter of it. We don't understand the heart and what is behind it. So he contrasted the scribes and the Pharisees, these people, they lived in God's word. They studied it more than anyone else. And yet they had departed its meaning. Jesus even tells them, look, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to be better than theirs. And I'm sure it was a shock to many of them to think that, wait a second, these people, they follow the law more than anyone else that they know. I mean, you know, who could be more righteous than they were? But Jesus is showing that they had only gotten into the letter, that they saw it as something that was an outward following rather than what's really and deeply happening within us. And so through these next, uh, next uh, few chapters, he's going to continue to show us the difference between the self-righteous leaders and true righteousness that he calls us to be. Throughout the rest of this chapter, beginning this morning, there's gonna be six things that he's going to point out that the scribes taught, and he's going to say, you've heard, but I say these things. This is the correct way of understanding what these things are about. And when you get into chapter six, uh, it starts off and it, it goes against some of the practices of the Pharisees. And he's going to say, you know, they, they do it this way, but he says, this is the right way to do those things. And then in the latter part of chapter six, you get into chapter seven, and he's going to um, give commands that's going to be contradictory to the very lives of the religious leaders. And he's doing this to show what is true righteousness. True righteousness is not following law, not that law is bad in and of itself, but it's why that law is there, why it is important to us, the intent that it is something that, that should, should follow us all the days of our lives. And so we begin with these first six, and we start with the first of those six. And you're going to find out that all six of these have to do with our relationship to, to each other. Because relationships and right relationships, they are important to God. And the reason goes all the way back to the first page of Scripture that tells us how we were created, how God wanted to create us in His image. 
that we were to live in the unity that the Father, the Son, and Spirit live among as well, this right relationship. And so we're supposed to read these these things and what Jesus is going to say. And we as a church, we're supposed to ask ourselves, does that sound like me? Does this sound like us? So we begin this morning here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus gives us part of the law of God. It's in what we call the, the great 10 commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder. And he, he mentions of the things they had heard about this law from the ancients, from those of old. And it's true, those who commit murder, you know, they, they are to be uh, judged. They are to be punished for those things. But Jesus, uh, he's going to show us this is something that goes back. It goes back further than the Mosaic law. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 9 and verse 6 And he says, you don't take the life of another human being because they have been made in the image of God. That, folks, is why motive is so important to us. And so Jesus says, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable for judgment. The scribes felt pretty good about themselves. Uh, They held grudges. We know how they were with Jesus. But hey, they never killed anybody. You know, everything in their life seemed to be good. And it's because they only looked at the external action. They, they only believed that was the way that one sinned and not the internal things that are going on. Some of you may have translations. In fact, if you have a New King James, it's going to say in there, anyone who is angry with his brother without cause. That, those last two words there, it's found in the New King James Version, without cause. But you don't find it in most of the translations. Uh, and the reason is because it was added in the second century. And, and, and again, you know, it, it, we like that. You know, it's not that we can't be angry uh, and, and, and not sin. We, we know Jesus was angry at times. And, um, but we, we're, we're much more comfortable with without cause. Because we like to say, well, you know, I had a good reason. I was angry, but I had a good reason. And there's just something about saying, don't be angry with your brother, that it's wrong and sinful, that we struggle with. Jesus wants us to know, wants us, wants to know what we are going to do with our anger. Anger that's opposed to forgiveness and reconciliation that harbors bitterness and resentment, he said it's sin. He said it's the heart 
of a murderer. Now, some of you have probably watched a crime show before, and, and they bring in someone who is a suspect in a murder, and they'll say something like, you know, well, he was a horrible person. I'm glad he died. I, uh, I, but I didn't do it. You know, it's, not, there's, it's against the law to murder someone, but it's not against the law to, to hate that individual or even hope that they die. Last week, Harding University had Jerry Mitchell in to speak. He is an alumnus and also an author of a recent book, Race Against Time. I would encourage everyone to get it. It's excellent. He was an investigative journalist who pursued Klansmen who were responsible for some of the most notorious crimes and murders during the civil rights movement. And thanks to Jerry Mitchell, there were many who um, were brought to justice. And even, even later on in years, even when some of these guys were old men. But anyway, he talked in his speech about Edgar Ray Killen. He was questioned by the FBI right after the, um, the, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and, you know, they wanted to know about his whereabouts on that night, and he was, would not cooperate, did not want to, would not answer their questions. But one of the FBI agents gave him his card. And sometime later, not exactly sure when, um, he found that card, and he picked it up, and he called this FBI agent, and he asked him, who killed King? And the FBI agent asked him, said, well, well why, are you, why do you want to know? And this is what he said because I would like to shake that man's hand. It's a murderous heart. Sure, he's not gonna be arrested for that. In fact, he had his day in court for other things. But that attitude is growing in our culture. After millions of people watched the inhumane way a rogue cop knelt on the neck of George Floyd, you had those who were posting pictures of them smiling as they're kneeling on the neck of someone else. There were protests, and some of those protests turned into riots, and they they turned into violence, and some of the angry crowds, they tried hurting police, belittling them, crying out, death to pigs. Some civilians and hate groups who were opposed to that, they started walking around and and with, uh, you know, with guns. And then some of you may know, you know, there were two of these people who were shot by one of those who was carrying the gun after this man in particular was attacked. And then it wasn't, I don't know, a night or two later than someone on the opposite side, they were murdered in the street. And some of those in with these, um, who were part of these hate groups, they were celebrating this man's murder. Folks, it goes back to Genesis. God says to Cain, he is outraged. And he says, you must relent there in Genesis chapter four, because sin is crouching at the door, the the beast within. He didn't, and he kills his brother. He murders him. And then later on in the line of Cain, we learn of Lamech. And not only does he murder someone, but he celebrates it. 
arrogantly in this in poetic form. Karl Barth, he is a he was a Swiss theologian and professor. He wrote at the end of World War II about um, something that is referred to as the wolf within. And he believed all humans are capable of killing someone else. And that most people don't do that because they were raised a certain way, you know, that, that because of the culture in which they lived. But he said society, uh, uh, but he said that he found it fascinating how quickly a society will embrace killing. And he spoke about a nation that got behind the ideals of Hitler, a principle of his that unleashed this wolf within. Even in his, his own country of Switzerland, after the war, they were um, executing people who had been traitors during this time. And the government asked people of Switzerland, citizens, if they would be willing, any of them would come and volunteer to put these people to death. Switzerland, uh, considered neutral. They had so many people to volunteer to put these people to death that they, they had to keep turning people away. We're living in an increasingly violent society. I'm thankful for our civil laws against murder, but Jesus is trying to do something here to take us deeper into what's happening and how these things happen. Bitterness exposes a murderous heart. God will not tolerate contempt for human life because he believes that it is sacred. It is something that should be protected. It should be as, as much as you can. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, that's right relationships, not only with God, but others. Blessed are those who mourn over the, the sin and the broken relationships that they see in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers who step in between the conflict of other people to help bring reconciliation. There's a movie on Netflix called Tread. It is a documentary of something that happened in 2001. It's about a man in his 50s. He was a 50-year-old welder muffler shop owner in a small town in Colorado hardworking, well-liked individual, and people had no idea he had been harboring this anger from within. There was a series of events that occurred in that town that put him over the edge, and I'm not gonna go tell, expel it for you, but for a year and a half, he methodically transformed a bulldozer into a tank, and then he unleashes his fury on the town. And he even said in these tapes that he believed that God wanted him to do that. What does the Son of God say here? This pandemic has contributed to anger and frustration of many. There are families who are dealing with loss. There are people who have lost jobs. We hear of all these crazy conspiracy theories and arguments over masks, and and here we are. We're in a, a um, you know, we're in an election year. There's racial tensions. There's continual negative news news outlets. Jesus is exposing the human heart.
and he's telling us that murder is not something, it is not just the act of killing another person. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus even said, whoever calls his brother stupid or an obstinate fool is subject to the council and even hell. He's using this extreme language to show how important right relationships are to God. Do you ever want to say something nasty to people who, who make you angry, who cut you off on the road, or who say something to you that you don't appreciate? Jesus says, don't do it. He says, it's wrong. In our anger, we lose sight of the very person that, that God loves. And you may say, yeah, but they're terrible people. Well, we're soon going to get to where Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Are we going to get angry? Yes. It's human nature. It's something that happens very quickly. But we cannot hold to that anger. We cannot hold resentment against other people. Jesus says, if you travel to Jerusalem and you're going to offer up a sacrifice to God and you suddenly remember that there's someone that you know has a problem with you, he says, you leave your offering. You go and reconcile to that person and then come back and offer sacrifice. Why? Because our relationships with other people affects our relationship with God. It interferes with our worship to God. In this case, it's the guilty party who is to go and, and to, to seek reconciliation, take that initiative. Later on in chapter 18, he's going to use the opposite side. If you are offended by someone, you go to them. But here he's talking about it, about the person who's done the offending. He says, you go, you apologize, you ask for forgiveness. You do everything you can to be reconciled. And, and we have to ask ourselves, is there someone in our congregation, among our people that you have resentment towards? Maybe it's me. Or, or, you know, maybe it's, it's someone else um, out in the community. Obviously, it takes both parties in order to have reconciliation. But we must be determined as much as on our part, according to Romans chapter 12, 17 and 18, that we are to be at peace with others, including, if you read that passage, those who offend us. You may think, yeah, but they don't deserve it. But let that sink in. Think about that next time that you take of the bread and drink of the cup of Christ. Knowing that while on the cross, after being tortured and now being put to death, that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our salvation is something that is to be played out before others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20 really shows us, it's about reconciliation. And he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now watch this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them 
and entrusting to us. There it is again. Now we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He says we have been entrusted to this ministry of reconciliation. It's been given to us. It testifies to others what Christ has done in us. So what does it say when we hold resentment towards others? What ministry are we then a part of? This is why, folks, it's more important than getting to worship on time. Jesus gives a mini parable there at the end about going to court, a civil dispute. And he says, look, if you don't try to settle these disputes with other people, that you're going to find yourself into the hands of a judge. And you will be, you will be judged and, and maybe even go to jail. But the point is that deal with anger and these resentment that you have towards other people quickly. Don't let it be something that continues. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 really hits the essence of what we're talking about here. Here Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Okay, so we can be angry and not sin, but how does that happen? He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because that's what happens when we allow anger to linger. Like a beast, anger is something that has to be caged. It is something that, um, that in anger we often say and do things that we would not normally say and do if we were not angry. Most of the time that means you know, waiting to respond, not responding immediately. We, we need to calm down. We need to take deep breaths. And I think more than anything, we need to pray that God's spirit will give us self-control and clarity. As we said from the beginning, all of us are going to struggle with things that are stated in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a lifelong process of learning, learning to lean on the Spirit of God over our own understanding, our own human nature. And that begins by an all-out faith and trust. And many of us have said, oh, look, I've, I've put my faith in Christ. That means I trust Him with every aspect of my life. And our baptism, our very baptism, is about becoming a new creation of God. We rise up and we, we live in, in the heart of God's Spirit, which has now come to live in us. If you knew me growing up, you would definitely say, man, Tracy had a terrible temper as a kid, as a teenager. He has come a long way. But I can also say those who know me intimately today would probably say, well, no doubt would say, he still has a ways to go. It's a process. It's something that we've got to dedicate ourselves to, to the very peace of God in our own lives. Be reconciled. Right relationships. They're so important to God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for allowing us to be here this day. Father, I pray for the hearts of all of our people, everyone who's watching, everyone who is with us at the building this morning. And Father, I just pray that, that our hearts will be for you, that we'll trust you, that we'll, we'll do everything that we can to bring about
the reconciliation to the world that you have brought in us with, with God, with the, with, with the Father. And Father, I pray that your spirit will continue to live in us and Christ will live in us as we continue to walk in this um, every day. And so, Father, we, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.